Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome back to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Let's dive right on in. We got a beauty show to close out the week here. It's another edition of a Friday mailbag. So I'll get into all your tweets, your questions, your comments. By the way, hit me up at Brandon underscore Rewicki on Twitter. So yeah, we'll get into your comments, mainly about... My ranking of the Jets' decor in the NHL, and then everything else blue line related here in Winnipeg. Also later on, food royalty here in Winnipeg stops by. World-renowned chef Mandel Hitzer joined the pod for a little chat. For those that don't know, he's the mastermind behind Deer and Almond as well as Raw Almond. That's the dinner out on the river. So we touch on both of those creations, some of the secrets behind his menu. What it's like cooking for celebrities. I mean, he's cooked for Ed Sheeran. I think Sam Jackson, too. Um, And then we also talked about what it's like being on TV. Mandel's a judge on Wall of Chefs on the Food Network. Kind of like a a home cook cooking competition, which I do plan on being on one day. Uh, So he asked Mandel a little bit about that. And also, his game day creation is an absolute showstopper. It's something I've never heard about. I'm sure you've never heard about before. But we'll kick things off with our mailbag and what you have to say. And this time, we're going to start off with a look at a poll I tweeted out earlier this week. Uh, And the poll just asked where you think the Jets' defense should rank across the NHL. And I just gave three options. Bottom five, bottom ten, or in the 15 to 20 range across the NHL. And guys, I got to say, I was shocked at the results. I really was. So let's get to them. 13% of you were pessimistic and thought the Jets have a bottom five defense core. 46% of you would put them in the bottom 10, which is where I had them. And boy, oh boy, 41% of you think as it stands right now, The Jets have a blue line that is somewhere between 15th and 20th in the NHL. Like, basically, league average in the NHL. I mean, (laughs) I love the optimism, especially right at the start of a season. But, ooh, (laughs) like, pass that Kool-Aid over. 41% of Jets Nation. I Look, I just don't see how you can put them in that range. I They're improved from where they were last year. No doubt about that. Uh, They're not near. And I wouldn't. You know, 13% of you had them in the bottom five. I don't think that's true necessarily either. 
So I'm gonna. I that's why I went in between. Uh, I believe I gave them the seventh worst ranking in the NHL. I think that's a fair spot. But I, I thought, okay, well, I mean, if 41% of you think that I'm incorrect here, why don't we look at the teams that I had just ahead of Winnipeg, and maybe that'll give us a better sense of should the Jets be higher? Should I have them higher? Or are they okay with where they're at right now? So the team's just ahead. Buffalo, the New York Rangers, Anaheim, Arizona, Pittsburgh. Now, Buffalo, yeah, I could see that. I could see them putting ahead. I mean, the, the reason I put the Sabres ahead was I thought decor to decor, they're pretty similar, but I would just take Rosmus Dahlin over anybody in Winnipeg right now. So I just I gave the edge to the Sabres because I think Dahlin is is better than Josh Morrissey at the moment. He's going to have a more impactful season. Uh, but if you wanted to put Buffalo ahead, that's cool too. Rangers, Anaheim, yeah. Yeah, I, I, again, maybe I could see that. I think their top fours are better than what Winnipeg has. Um, and you know what? I, I guess, too, a big reason for this is a lot of you think Josh Morrissey is going to have a bounce-back season, which is fair and, and definitely possible. But if we're going by what happened last year, yeah, no, I, th- I think the Rangers and the Ducks both have better top fours unless Derek Forbert, a Sandberg, a Hainola, one of those guys has a really, really big season on top of that as well. And then Arizona-Pittsburgh round out the bottom 10 in the NHL. Yeah, I just don't see it. I, I really don't. I mean, look, the Penguins, in my opinion, actually have the worst third pair in the NHL this season. Mike Matheson and Cody Ceci. But their top four is it's pretty damn good. I'm not a huge Chris Letang fan, but the numbers don't lie. I mean, he's one of has been one of the elite defensemen in hockey for, I mean, getting close to like seven, eight years now. John Marino is maybe the best kept secret in the sport. I mean, Pittsburgh found an absolute stud there. So I just, I can't put the Penguins behind the Winnipeg Jets as of right now. And the Coyotes are pretty solid, one through six. You know, even if you don't think Ekman Larson is that guy, the number one guy worthy of his of his big cap hit, they're pretty solid right up and down the roster. So I would, I would still have Arizona ahead. And then you, you look at the teams that are in that 15-20 range. You have San Jose, Vancouver, Boston. Washington and Toronto. And I I guess kind of the unfortunate truth when you look at these teams here is that what do they have on the blue line that Winnipeg doesn't? It's a true, no doubt about it. Number one defenseman, the Winnipeg jets just don't have that yet. Maybe Josh Morrissey takes that step this season. And that would no doubt about it. Catapult the jets up the rankings and, and maybe push them somewhere into the, you know, the halfway point in the NHL. But he had that chance last year, and and Josh Morrissey didn't take it by the horns. So I just as it as it stands right now with this decor, yeah, you can't you can't put them ahead of these other teams. They're they're really not that close. Those teams all right there have a stud that you play twenty five minutes a night. But again, let me know if I'm wrong. I, I was just I was kind of surprised by that because I thought people would be a little more pessimistic about the Jets blue line. But a lot of you guys are high up on it, so we'll see if it plays out like that this year. Now let's get to a few of your comments, some about the decor, one food one at the end, which I always like. If you want to talk food, just hit me up on Twitter again at Brandon underscore Rewiki. But let's start off with at Menno Knight 427. And this is in response to where the Jets should rank across the NHL on their blue line. Menno Knight says, depends on Maurice a lot, I'd say. Last year, he had them playing so passively, it was actively harmful. But when DeMello gave them a real top pair, 
They started to defend the ozone blue line, and that helped out big time. So that I mean that's fair. Yeah, I, I would agree with, with what you said there. I, I think when when you look at the Jets blue line last season, I mean outside of construction and and some of the people involved, the biggest mistake Paul Maurice made was trying to become too passive, right? Like I think he he looked at what he had on the blue line, and instead of playing the way that we've seen the Jets play in the past, it's like the team went into the shell, right, and just. Look, we don't have the horses that we used to, so let's try and weather the storm instead of taking it to the opposition a little bit. And we got Connor Hellebuck back there who would go on to win the Vezina Trophy. And I could see how, you know, maybe Paul Maurice thought just taking it back, dialing it back a little bit would help the team. And it didn't, right? Like, if you take a deep dive into the numbers, expected goals, all that, the Jets were worse than the Red Wings for most of last season, if not all of last season, right? Like, it just didn't work out that way. So I would agree with Menno Knight there that... The style the Jets played didn't do them any favors this past season. But Mennonite says when DeMello gave them a real top pair, yeah, that I'm I'm not overly sure about either. Like if, if you're talking about where the Jets top pair ranks across the NHL, to me it's still in the bottom 10. And they didn't dominate during the regular season either, Morrissey and DeMello. They were much better than what Winnipeg had throughout the season. But they kind of broke even on the shot chart. Expected goals was still a bit of a nightmare. So that's it. I like the point you make that maybe maybe the results we're going to see this year, if the Jets play a little bit more aggressive, maybe that makes the blue line look better than it did for basically all of last season. So I kind of dig that. Thanks for the comment. Byron. Byron the Bulldog. Byron says... What kind of developments from their young guys will be needed to vault the Jets' blue line higher in the rankings? Well, Byron, (laughs) a lot. (laughs) First off, a lot of development. Now, young guys, I don't think young guys is what it's going to take. I think a a young guy would be what it would take for the Jets. And that's, again, we get into the Sandberg-Hainola thing. I mentioned during last week that I don't see both of them on the team this year. And I think Dylan Sandberg is going to be the guy that makes the Jets and gets a chance to play, whether it is top four, third pairing minutes, he's going to get that shot right out of the gate. I think if if we see Dylan Sandberg, and I would probably say surprise us, but if we see him do that and develop into a legit top four defenseman beside Neil Pionk, I, yeah, I, I could probably see them pushing into that 20 range, right? Like maybe jumping out of the bottom 10. They wouldn't. They they would still be missing that that big shutdown guy. And when I say big, I don't mean size, but just that number one stud defenseman. But if Dylan Sandberg comes to play this year, then they're just real solid one through six. Kind of what you're getting out of Arizona, who I think I had twentieth, right? So that that's a good spot for the Jets to be in. I think it's realistic for them to be in this season. And then again, if we see Josh Morrissey bounce back and take a step forward on top of that then yeah, I would probably agree that 15 to 20, uh, the Jets could find a way to push into that range. Uh, let's go to Ross's comment. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to love this one. Jets fans. Ross says Edmonton Edmonton has a better defense than the Jets this season. On top of that, Evan Bouchard is a better prospect than Sandberg or Heinola. All right. So Ross is going to take the Edmonton Oilers ahead of the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to blue lines this season. Now, I actually, in my rankings, had the Jets and Oilers battling it out. And I I picked the Jets 
over the Oilers. And the main reason for that was that I didn't really include Oscar Clefbaum in my rankings because I believe he is going to miss the entire season. If Clefbaum was healthy, then I would take the Oilers over the Jets. But let's just compare blue line to blue line and see what we got here, okay? On the top pair right now, would you rather have Darnell Nurse and Ethan Bear? Or would you rather have Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello? Who <laughs> I, I do like beasts of Ethan Bear. He that he had a real, real nice rookie season last year. I think I would lean Morrissey DeMello, but that is a tight one. But I think I think I'll go with Morrissey DeMello there. The one nice part about that pair, though, and, and something that the Jets have lacked, especially all of last season, is Darnell Nurse 6'4, 220. I would love to have Darnell Nurse in the Jets top four and have a little bit of size to go along with Josh Morrissey. But we'll, let's just say, for example, we'll give the top the top pair edge slightly to the Winnipeg Jets. Second pair, Chris Russell and Adam Larson. That would be up against, as right now, Neil Pionk and Derek Forbort. Yeah, I think I would give the edge to Winnipeg there as well. Uh, Neil, P- I mean, Pionk and Larson play two totally different games, so it's kind of tough to compare the two on the right side. But Neil Pionk was... He was a pretty good second pair defenseman last season. Pionk and Larson might play pretty well on a pairing together, but that's not the case here. I mean, Chris Russell, 33, going to be 34 soon. I don't know how well that pair is going to work together. So at this point, we're given the entire top four, the advantage on the Jets over the Oilers. Then we get to the third pair, and yeah, the Oilers definitely have an advantage here. Caleb Jones and Tyson Berry, who I keep forgetting the Oilers actually sign to help out their power play. Uh, but Caleb Jones and Tyson Berry, Nathan Bull, you Tucker Pullman. Yeah, that's fair. We'll give the Oilers a big-time advantage on the third pair there. But hey, give me a give me a better top four over a better third pairing right now for the Jets. So sorry, Ross. I will reluctantly have to go with the Winnipeg Jets over the Oilers, but I would agree too that Evan Bouchard is a better prospect right now than Sandberg or Hainola, and he could have a pretty big impact this season, and that's a big boy out there on the right side as well. Now, he should be as, you know, for Jets fans saying, whoa, uh, I mean, Evan Bouchard should be a better prospect because he was picked, what was it, 10th overall? Uh, So yeah, I mean, that's fair, but it is close. It is close between the two, And oddly enough, I also had the Oilers and the Jets right beside each other when it came to their forward rankings. Good news, Jets fans. The Jets will be well ahead of the Oilers when it comes to the goaltender rankings. So now one last one here from Steve McConnell. Steve said, love the podcast. Thanks, Steve. Uh, And then Steve followed up. I'm vegan. So the King and Ban interview that we had a couple weeks ago had me picking up lunch there. Well, that's awesome. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for checking out King and Ban. Mike Del Buono and the crew down there. Yeah, they have a, I believe the vegan sandwich he's talking about, they have a pulled jackfruit, killer barbecue sauce, a grilled pineapple, some slaw, all that stuff. It's outstanding. And they also have a nice veggie one too, a sweet potato one that you guys should try out to go along with the rest of their fantastic meat options. But Steve, if you want to make your own, how about I hit you up with what I do for my own uh, rendition. It's actually one of the better sandwiches I make, if I can brag a little bit, about a plant-based pulled pork sandwich. Uh, so I'll just run you through what I do here quick, Steve. And if you want to make one at home, go right ahead. And I always find this too when I make plant-based food and, and you want to make your veggies or whatever it is you're working with taste meatier and, and have that, that savoriness and all that, just treat it like meat, right? <laughs> That's usually why vegetables suck for the most part when people cook them is they, they don't give them a whole lot of love. But what I do for my pulled pork sandwich, plant-based style, 
take some some king oyster mushrooms and jackfruit as well. So both of those things, they have a, a really good texture, very similar to pulled pork, and they also look pretty identical. And then what you do is just just grab your favorite barbecue rub, whatever that is, uh, and and just again treat it like you would a pork shoulder. Yeah. So hit it with the rub, and then if you have a smoker, smoke it. If not, you can just throw it in the oven. And let it get nice and caramelized and, and dark and all that. And then just take a fork and you can actually just, you know, pull it apart like that. And it's going to pull apart into that porky texture. And then just mix it with your favorite barbecue sauce, whatever that is. And that's your pulled pork right there. To me, a barbecue sandwich always has to have slaw on it. So, so throw your favorite slaw on top of that. Get a bun. And there it is. So give it a try if you want, Steve, or anybody else out there that maybe wants to take a break from meat for a little bit. That's my uh, my plant-based pulled pork recipe. So let me know if it's actually any good or if I should just leave the uh, the food talk to the pros and I'll just give up my dream of being a high-end home chef. No big deal. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for your comments, guys. We'll do this again next week. And at the end of the show, I'll just kind of touch on what we're expecting uh, as far as a schedule for next week's episodes, it is Christmas as well, uh, which is crazy. I can't believe it's already less than a week away right now. Um, but we'll get into what next week's mailbag could look like. Again, hit me up at Brandon underscore Ruwiki on Twitter, as well as the podcast. But without further ado, an absolute icon in the Winnipeg food scene was gracious enough to give up his time and he stopped by. Very pleased now to be joined with the chef and owner of Deer and Almond, Mandel Hitzer. Mandel, how's it going tonight, man? Good. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. It's busy times. I I, I kind of caught you at a bit of a bad time. You're still working hard right now, getting deliveries out and across the whole city. So yeah, just wrapping up a uh, service today. You know, I'm lucky. I'm off at a decent time. Uh, it is. It's crazy times. COVID's. Uh, you know, we're definitely feeling the wrath of it in our industry, that's for sure. Well, let me start off on a bit of a light note here, okay, before we get into some of the heavier stuff later on. Uh, but sure. I was I was just doing a little research before the interview, and I want to ask you, do you remember the pick that Tourism Winnipeg used of you? Um, not quite sure. No? There's a lot of picks floating out there. <laughs> All right. Well, it's it's on their website, and I as soon as I saw it, I had to ask, and I guess I'll try to describe it to the best of my capabilities here, but you are rocking what appears to be a full-on fox toque. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, you know, as you know, I, I hosted uh, uh, Rawlmond on the ice for seven years, a 21-day pop-up at the junction of the Red and the Sinboyne River. So, um, you know, after working for 21 nights in a row, um, putting on the show and then feeding Winnipeggers and doing the tasting menus, hosting chefs, you kind of get into a, you know, the spirit takes over. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit All right. of the river and our, our wonderful winter wonderland, you know, kind of was running through my veins there. It's a good luck. I think you should stick with it if you still have it lying around somewhere. Thanks, man. So since you mentioned Raw Almond, I know you took last year off and you, you had planned on getting it back underway. Is it even possible now or is there anything in the works maybe later on in 2021? Well, you know, they put it to rest uh, for the time being. Yeah. Um, even with this uh, weather that we're having right now, it's not really good for the development of the ice. And we'd usually, you know, in a regular year, uh, we were working really close with the forks and the people they have on site there 
you know, monitoring the ice over the course of all of December, um, leading up to basically New Year's, and we we kind of figure out um, whether or not we could be on or off the ice. But uh, you know, it doesn't look promising with this weather pattern that we're having right now. Yeah, it's really too bad, and it's been such a great event for, I mean, here in the province. You've done it in several different locations, um, and you, yeah. you did it in Japan one year. Is that correct? Yeah, we we took it to Tokyo, uh, which was an incredible... Yeah, what was that? Uh, unbelievable journey. I, I can't even begin to tell you, uh, you know, slugging out as a young line cook throughout my 20s and taking on, uh, you know, the kitchen, I'd never thought in a million years I'd have the opportunity to host a, a pop-up in Tokyo, but uh, we did it. We we also went to Churchill, and uh, we did a, a pop-up, which was kind of like the cherry on the on the cake, was in Wasagamine. We we built an incredible log cabin right on the on the lake that we cooked out of, and it, it was it was absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. Well, hopefully, sometime in the near future, we can get back doing to that. I mean, I know it's a lot of work for you, but it's kind of like the marquee flagpole event here in the foodie scene in Manitoba. And hopefully we can, I don't know, maybe 2022, we can have a return to Rawl. Yeah, maybe 2022 sounds like a nice year. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 2020, far away in the rear view at that point. So, dear Nolman, it's it's been almost 10 years now that you've been open there. Is that right? Yeah, we actually, during the first lockdown of COVID in April, we, we celebrated our eighth birthday. I didn't really put anything online like I normally would. Uh, typically, uh, a birthday at the restaurant, I, um, you know, flutter guests with champagne. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't really tell anybody, but it is an event for us. Um, you know, a lot of the people that have worked at the restaurant, I have people that have worked there um, the entire course of the years. Um, a lot of my staff in the kitchen have been with me for, you know, some four or five, six years. So um, it, we, we didn't have our birthday this year, and that's okay. <laughs> um, hopefully, if all goes planned, we'll be able to celebrate it next year. I mean, how crazy is that? When you first opened, like, what was the plan originally? And then I guess just how have you evolved over the past nine years to where you guys are at right now? Um, well, it was, it was in, like I said, it's been an incredible journey. Um, I, I took on the restaurant just after my 30th birthday, and um, I had no idea what I was doing or what I was getting myself <laughs> into. I didn't have a playbook. I've never been, uh, you know, an, an entrepreneur or anything like that. And um, But, you know, it was, it was like a lifelong dream and goal. Um, I remember telling my parents when I was a teenager that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to become a chef and, and own my own restaurant one day. Um, so I feel really grateful at a young age. I knew exactly what I wanted to do and, um, you know, just hard work and dedication, uh, uh, kind of brought me to where I am today. So how would you explain the menu that you have up right now at Deer and Almond? Uh, right now it's actually, for me, it's been pretty incredible. Uh, COVID has taught us, you know, so many lessons. Um, but for me personally, I've spent more time at home with family and friends I cook a lot for myself. Typically at the restaurant, I'm cooking for guests, and I try components. But it's day in, day out. We don't eat the food that we cook at Deer and Almond. We eat kind of, like, really simple. And so during COVID, I've, I've actually, like, I'm going into my, like, old tickle trunk. And <laughs> over the years, I've been cooking for 24 years. You know, I started cooking at a 
Mediterranean Italian restaurant. So there's a lot of influence there. Uh, the first serious chef that I work under under was Makoto Ono. His dad owned mm-hmm. Edo High. So you know Japanese background with French uh, influence in cooking. So um, you know the menu at Dear is very eclectic. It's kind of like cuisine from my favorite dishes from all around the world. Um, so we're kind of doing an homage to that. There's like some dim sum favorites. There's some Japanese. There's some Italian. But it's kind of something for everybody. Um, that's that's basically the, the style of food that we're cooking right now. Now you mentioned something really interesting uh, earlier, and I kind of equate it to how we had to adapt in the radio industry. And in some ways, we were kind of talking about it as you know, in, in a way, the pandemic also forced us to adapt and become better in a, in a weird sort of way. Do you feel like a, a similar sort of a vibe with your restaurant? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was really like, you know, I was really lucky. We, the first lockdown, we did a little bit of takeaway. It wasn't very successful. I didn't really push it. It wasn't something I really wanted to participate in. Um, when they announced 50% capacity, um, in, at the end of June, our restaurants in the heart of the exchange, the downtown Winnipeg core was absolutely devastated with the lack of people coming mm-hmm. downtown. And I didn't want to put my serving staff in that position. We didn't know enough about what COVID was about. And they're like kind of on the front lines dealing with customers. And at Deer and Almond, you know, anybody, like a lot of people who come to town to visit or stay in the hotels downtown, they're recommended to go check it out because it's accessible. So we get a lot of people from out of town. And I didn't feel comfortable putting my staff in that situation, so we decided to close for the summer and do a complete head-to-toe renovation. Um, during the renovation period, it was also time, you know, we've been open for eight years. There's things that I've always talked about doing and changing, but in the machine of regular service, we just couldn't get it done. And also by doing so, it gave me enough time to, like, stop working and reflect on what we're doing and how we're doing cooking and using our food and uh, inspired me to like, you know, basically stoke the fire and uh, carry that torch throughout the summer and light it up when we reopened in September. What were some of those things that you wanted to add and maybe couldn't before because of time constraints or whatever else it may have been? Well, I I think a big part of it was, you know, when, when you're in your day to day, you kind of get used to what you're doing and, um, it was kind of a perfect storm when we reopened the restaurant. Both of my sous chefs had gone off to travel, and one of them actually went on to open up uh, uh, Cosmos, which is uh, a wicked uh, eatery. It, it's a, a ghost restaurant. Right, like, right. Very, very talented chef, Stefan Litwin, um, is doing an incredible job. So I kind of like, you know, I lost both of my limbs. You know, I lost both my arms in the kitchen, and I was forced to, like, get behind the stove and reevaluate like the menu and how we cook the food. And before it was like more of an open book. Everyone had, you know, input and opinion. And I was able to kind of like take back my kitchen for a short period of time until our, uh, my, my other chef, Emily Butcher came back. Uh, so we're, we're, you know, collaborating and doing the menu together. She's a, a Vancouver transplant, um, half Chinese, half English. So her uh, ethnic background and her cooking, where where she's been, uh, we totally jive really well together. And, and, and uh, 
you know, I, I think we have similar food values in the kitchen. So it's it's been quite the ride. Now, I know you have a lot of international influences in your menu, uh, but there's also a lot of, and, and maybe more than anything else, a, a whole bunch of Manitoba thrown in there as well. And I believe you've talked yeah. all over the world about, you know, the Manitoba culinary scene and, and what the province has to offer when it comes to food, correct? Yeah, yeah. And that was another component that we brought in, um, especially at the, in September to harvest season. And um, having the summer off, I was able to, you know, I, I'm an avid forager. I spend a lot of time in the forest collecting, you know, berries and, and mushrooms. And uh, I work really close with a local gardening le- legend, uh, this girl, my well, my friend Tiffany. And so her and I, you know, spend a lot of time out in the forest together. She teaches me about uh, regional ingredients. And I try my best to incorporate that into the restaurant because I don't think a lot of restaurants on, like, especially a commercial scale, really showcase Manitoba ingredients. Um, you know, we always like having, whether it be gold eye or whitefish, pickerel on the menu, wild rice, um, local berries, mushrooms. It's, it's really important to me. What's your favorite Manitoban ingredient to work with? You know, honestly, like, it's a tough one because there's so many. Um, but I really, I really love, like, I really love pickerel. I really love mm-hmm. chanterelles. Like, chanterelle hunting for me is like... And you could find really, that in Manitoba? Yeah, a lot. It's, it's a really sacred space for me. You know, <laughs> I really, really, really... It's like my medicine, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Now, I believe you just changed your menu a week or two. Like, how often is your menu changing? Um, you know, there, sometimes things come and go on a weekly basis. We have our staples. Like, there's some dishes that um, I can't really get away from. You know, if you've ever eaten at the restaurant, have our baby potatoes or uh, our semi-fredo dessert. Um, I can't really get away from that. But, um, you know, every week or two, we kind of reassess what we're doing. And um, we're constantly being inspired by, um, you know, lo- local purveyors that are like, hey, this is what I have right now. Do you want to take a go at that? Or, you know, you, you um, whether I'm looking on Instagram or searching on the web, uh, I might shift gears. Often I get a lot of inspiration from family and friends. Um, you know, often my girlfriend will be talking or her friends will be talking about like a dinner they had and, and it will be like, oh, wow, I haven't thought about that for a while. Maybe I'll try that out. So um, I just try to listen to what people love and, and you know, at the end of the day, try to give them that. What's, what would you consider the most popular item on your menu right now? Well, it's a tough one. Um, we're doing a really amazing pickerel dish on wild rice. And when people call the restaurant and they ask for suggestions, I, I typically do try to push it a little bit because it's, it's so simple. It's literally like three ingredients, but they just go together so well, and you feel so healthy eating it. It's very clean. So for me, that's like kind of like one of my more popular dishes right now. Are you? Do you ever get nervous cooking dishes like that, or like Italian, where, like you mentioned, just a, a handful of ingredients, but it basically you need flawless execution to make it happen? Um, sometimes, you know, I think, I think like I can say this for a lot of chefs out there, or even home cooks. Sometimes the hardest dishes to do are the simplest. You know, like a good example of scallop. If you take a scallop 
and you pan fry it with a little bit of butter and it turns brown and then you squirt it with a little bit of lemon juice, salt and pepper. There's almost nothing better than that. <laughs> you know, it's very simple and clean. Um, so it's sometimes easy to get carried away with ingredients or adding more. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I kind of gravitate towards uh, cuisines like Italian, where it's just the ingredients speaking for themselves. You know, like who doesn't like a, a proper uh, meatball and tomato sauce on fresh pasta, you know? Well, I oh, 100%, and I'm glad you brought up fresh pasta because I believe you and me are on the same wavelength uh, when it comes to pasta. Like, noodles is your favorite your favorite food, your favorite dish, correct? Yeah, I'm a big fan of noodles, yeah. So I, I thought I read in an article that you called fresh homemade pasta a life giver. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I agree with you. But can you explain what well, that means? Well, it's, it's a life giver because it's something that's very honest and very simple and accessible for a lot of people. To make a noodle, you just need flour and water, you know? And, you know, in Winnipeg, the, you know, there's, the struggle's real. And, and so, like, you know, if you're feeding a large group of people, uh, whether it be a friend or family, um, just really basic ingredients like flour and water can, you know, provide a meal for you. You have a couple of fried chicken items on the menu, one in a sandwich and then one as a main. What's yeah. it to you? What goes into making the perfect fried chicken? Because I know a lot of people love to eat it, but they probably can't make it very good. Well, uh, you know, brine. You got to brine your chicken. That's the secret. Um, so 2% uh, salt or sometimes 2 to 4% salt uh, to water ratio. Um, my, my secret is I, I use baking soda. Um, I, I put like a mm. tablespoon of baking soda in a couple quarts of water, put my chicken in there, set a 15-minute timer, and uh, take your chicken out. And, um, you know, buttermilk, flour, seasonings, and you're off to the races. All right, good stuff. Moving over to the sides part, I was really intrigued, and all your options sound tremendous, by the way. I believe they're all veggie-based, vegetarian um, can you maybe just explain your process into making a memorable veggie dish? Yeah, of course. I mean, like, I think as I get older, you know, I'm 38 years old, um, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm an absolute glutton. I could live on pizza, ramen noodles, <laughs> and cheeseburgers every day of the week. Um, but as I get older, I've been, like, using vegetables the same. I treat it the same way I treat a piece of meat. So good example is, like, a nice steak. Um, you know, seasoning the vegetables, you know, like grilled cabbage, grilled carrot, slowly roasting vegetables on, on an open flame um, or roasting in the oven for a very long period of time. It actually takes longer to cook a perfect carrot than it does a perfect steak. Um, so for us at the restaurant, we take a lot of pride and joy in working with vegetables. Um, you know, me being, I'm, I'm kind of, I love living a bachelor life, like I said, Calling that pizza, like if I was on my own, I'd just eat pizza every day. Um, but you know, I got to find sneaky ways to get vegetables into my diet. That's all. You know what? It's funny you mentioned that because I actually had ramen for breakfast today. So you don't you don't have to convince me about. I, I try to eat healthy, but like every now and again, sometimes you just need some noodles before it's eight a.m. Yeah, exactly right. Now my wife would kill me if I didn't ask you this, yeah. um, but she's a huge, huge Ed Sheeran fan. 
What was that experience like when, for those that don't know, Ed Sheeran stopped by Deer and Almond and then raved to the world about, wow, what an amazing meal I had in Winnipeg. Yeah, that completely, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the video, but Ace Burpee. Yeah. Oh, I know, Mandel. Um, (laughs) uh, It's kind of crazy. We've had some really unbelievable uh, celebrity experiences. Um, One, it's actually on my Facebook page, on my Mandel Hitzer page. Um, The Bare Naked Ladies did a rap uh, at the MTS Center and brought up the tallest poppy. No. And Deer and Almond, and got the entire crowd to sing out Deer and Almond. <laughs> and, like, and uh, you know, Ed Sheeran, we've had Samuel Jackson. Um, oh, who uh, there's The list goes on and on. I got, like, a wall of fame in the restaurant where we've got people to sign everything. I sign up the wall in the kitchen. But uh, it was pretty, it's pretty crazy. Like, I met Ed Sheeran, super nice guy, super down to earth. He was there with his buddies. Um didn't want to really, like, talk to any of the people. And uh, I was actually renting a, a studio space on Albert, and I, and I rented out some people to throw a party. And I found out Ed Sheeran showed up at the party later on. Oh, my kind of, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Small town Winnipeg. That is so unreal. And I, I love the interview, too, where he's like, I put ketchup on everything. Didn't need ketchup this time. I was like, there's the stamp of approval. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, unbelievable. That is a huge compliment. Is it is it nerve wracking at all? Like cooking for celebs when they come in? You know what we we treat everyone the same. Like I, mm-hmm. I actually have more stress about cooking for my friends and family <laughs> than I do because I know that they're going to be honest with me. Um, you know, over the years, I, I try my best to get out to talk to tables as much as I can when I have the ability. But like that's how I learn. That's that's my homework. You know, I I try. We try out things new things all the time. Sometimes I cook dishes I've never had before um, just because I, I want to teach myself. And so a lot of the times, uh, you know, my people are close to me. They'll be like, yeah, it was really good, but it needs a little bit of this or it needs a little <laughs> bit of that. Or maybe this didn't work because, you know, we fail a lot. <laughs> That's part of the process, you know. Like, we not everyone has the Midas touch. So we got to, you know, we learn. We learn, and uh, that's who I get nervous cooking for the most. All right, we're going to wrap it up in a little bit here, Mandel. But first, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, I do want to bring this up because I'm a just a diehard fan of the Food Network to go along with TSN. It's like the two channels I watch. But for those that don't know, you are a judge on the panel of Wall of Chefs. <laughs> yes, sir. What's the, What's it like being on TV? Um, you know... I, I think like I could I can speak for a lot of people in in our industry as as chefs. There is a little part of you that's like, oh, what if I became a chef on Food Network or anything? And and it was an incredible experience to live a day in that life. I I was on five episodes, which translates to five days that I spent at CBC headquarters, and um, the amount of work and and energy that goes into those shows are incredible. Um, I think I worked 18, or sorry, 14-hour days, and um, it was an incredible opportunity to meet chefs from all over Canada. Um, I made some really good friends who I talk to all the time. We check in with each other once a week. Obviously, due to COVID, it's really been, uh, you know, it's really important to check in with your friends and people you care about. Um, but it was an incredible journey. I, I got to, you know, 
my, I made my parents cry. You know, they're really proud. Oh, <laughs> that's um, so sweet. <laughs> and it's kind of surreal seeing yourself on TV. It's not really for me. I, I prefer staying in, in the kitchen at the restaurant. But uh, it was it was an incredible experience. I'm really stoked to have been able to share that with uh, Christine from Peace Bistro mm. and uh, put you know some Winnipeg pride out there on the on the Food Network. Yeah, hey, you did a super proud, and and one of the segments for those that don't know the show, you actually were, I I guess, one of the headliners with the three items in my fridge. You were the one of the ones they chose, so that that must have been pretty cool as well. Yeah, that was a little nerve wracking. <laughs> did it. Since you're familiar with that, I thought I would have a little fun with you and and throw to you three items that are in my fridge, and maybe you oh. can try and come up with a, a dish idea. Okay. Sure. All right, so. I would say the three most popular items in my fridge are mushrooms, mustard, and mint. Whoa, okay. Well, I mean, like, fresh herbs are an amazing garnish on anything. Mustard is a quintessential ingredient in making a lot of savory dishes or vinaigrettes. So I would probably do, I would take some balsamic vinegar and olive oil maybe a little bit of garlic and marinate my mushrooms and roast them. And then I'd make a separate vinaigrette with maybe a little bit of uh, chopped up mint and grainy Dijon and a little bit of lemon juice. And then I would roast those mushrooms and garnish them, mm, let's see, maybe on a piece of toast. Oh, my gosh. And a little bit of fresh cheese and drizzle all that wonderful vinaigrette all over the toast with your balsamic drunk mushrooms. Why not? Dude, I, I we should have just done the whole interview on this. I just throw three ingredients at you, and let's see what you come up with. Can I, I, can I tell you a funny story? Yeah. So when they called me, they called me, like, before the, the shoot, and they're like, we need to know three ingredients in your fridge. And I was just waking up for work, and I'm like, in my fridge? And they're like, yeah, like, three ingredients. In your fridge. I'm like, like right now, I'm like, sure. I like got up, opened the fridge. <laughs> there was a jar of dill pickles, a bottle of rice vinegar, and <laughs> a cucumber or something. So I gave them those three ingredients, <laughs> which they don't really like. They're all the same kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and um, so I arrived in Toronto, and they're like, oh, your, your fridge is tomorrow. Like, what kind of uh, dill pickle? Like, I was like, whoa, okay. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Or what it was for, I was just like answering the question truthfully, but uh, we we put together a real fridge for that. Well, I, I, it's funny because I remember your episode, and it was, I think it was it was broccoli, chorizo, and blue cheese. Yeah. And I'm I'm usually like semi-decent with piecing together like a, a, a meal idea, and I, I was completely stumped. I had absolutely no idea. Oh, really? Yeah, I think, like, well, I thought it over a little bit more, and I think maybe I would... I don't know if it would work at all. Maybe you could help me out with this, but like some kind of spicy broccoli and cheese soup. Oh yeah, there you go. Great. I think the blue cheese might be a little tough in there. I know because the soup would make it really boom aromatic. It's pretty strong flavor. So maybe a blue cheese crouton instead. There you go. Love it. it. Awesome. <laughs> all right, I pulled it off. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me today, my man. Oh, Mandel, thanks so much for joining us. Just one last quick one before you go. We ask all our guests this before they leave. 
Um, but in vain of hockey and the Jets coming back soon, hopefully. Just want to ask you this. What would be Derek Allman's game day item? Oh, Derek Allman's game day item? You know what? I've, I've been trying to convince my chefs to, to, to put it on the menu, but it's a lot of work. But you know, like, you know, like Thai stuffed chicken wings? Oh, yeah. Right? But like a little different. So I think like something crazy. Like our chef Emily did a fundraiser when she went off to compete at gold medal plates last year. And she stuffed chicken wings with like a prawn dumpling action. And I had a bite. I was like, this is insane. Like prawns inside a chicken wing, deep fried. Incredible. So I think like somewhere along the lines of like a pile of stuffed chicken wings with beer, maybe like, like the craziest, largest selection of dips, like ranch, hot sauce, cheese sauce, like relish, everything, everything you could dip into your wings while you watch the game. Why not? You're speaking my language, Mandel. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can come down to Deer and Almond in person sometime soon and try out the stuffed chicken wing. Look, man, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. We loved having you on. Have a great day, man. Take care. All the best. Shrimp roll stuffed chicken wings with all the dips. I swear to God, me and Mandel are soulmates. <laughs> I'm a huge, I mean, that is, as far as game day items go, that is the elite of the elites. And I'm a huge believer in the dip, by the way. Big time dip guy. Uh, there's there's the whole ranch or blue cheese dip debate when it comes to buffalo wings. And my answer is always, why not both, right? You can have both. You don't, well, I don't know why we always have to choose between one or the other. Just throw them both in front of me, and I'll, I'll find a way to make it work. Uh, thanks again, Mandel, for joining us. And, and guys, if you haven't been, you got to grab some takeout. However you get it, head down to Deer and Almond, and you will not regret it whatsoever. One of the best bites you'll have in the city, in the province, in Canada, in the world even. It, it's absolutely outstanding. All right, so, yeah, that wraps it up for today's episode. Now, to kick off next week... On Tuesday, guys, I have to be honest with you. I am so scared for what I have planned. (laughs) Don't laugh. I am legitimately terrified, and I probably shouldn't have done this. Very likely to be a colossal mistake, like a total train wreck, a Hindenburg, if you will. But I guess we're going to go ahead and do it. So make sure to tune in and find out what that is. <laughs> find out what that's all about. It, yeah, it's going to be wild. It'll be entertaining at the very least, so hopefully you enjoy it. And we'll also see where Connor Hellebuck and Laurent Brassois rank across the NHL in our goaltender rankings. And spoiler alert, it'll be a positive discussion. Much better than the Jets blue line, that's for sure. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Again, I'm Brandon Rewicki. Peace.